History is full of examples of good people doing good things in times of crisis. This episode is a continuation in a series set out to showcase some of these stories. I've started calling it the Compassion Series, and it's meant to offset all the bad news we've been getting in our feeds lately. So today, I want to tell you about something inspiring. The subject of this episode is John Robert Fox, a Buffalo soldier and one of seven African Americans to receive the Medal of Honor for acts of valor in World War II. So sit back, let go, untense that beautiful brain of yours, and lose yourself in some history. I'm your host, Kristen Robine Terpstra, and this is the History Cache. Let's have a look inside. African-American soldiers have fought in every major conflict in American history. For most of that history, they have been in segregated regiments, and it wasn't until President Harry Truman signed Executive Order 9981 on July 26, 1948, that racial segregation was abolished in the U.S. military. This means the U.S. military has been desegregated for only 72 of the 244 years it has existed. African Americans were separated into all-black regiments, usually headed by white officers, all the way through World War II. This might seem like a long time ago, but if you have a grandparent or great-grandparent that served before 1948, they did so in a racially segregated military. Despite often being given undesirable duties and stations, soldiers from these black regiments often distinguished themselves in combat. In 1866, after the American Civil War, many African-American soldiers served on the plains and the western frontier. The 9th and 10th Cavalries, as well as four infantry regiments, were formed and comprised entirely of black soldiers, although the commissioned officers were almost always white. The infantry regiments were eventually consolidated into two, the 24th and 25th, that often fought alongside the 9th and 10th Cavalries. Some of these soldiers were former slaves, and many of them were made up of some of the 180,000 African-American soldiers that fought for the Union Army during the American Civil War. These soldiers were used to fight military campaigns during the Indian Wars, and for decades were tasked with, among other things, capturing horse thieves, protecting settlers, stagecoaches, railroads, and wagon trains, and keeping peace on the American plains and in the West. They even helped fight wildfires at times and protected America's first national parks. The soldiers of these regiments came to be known as Buffalo Soldiers. Buffalo Soldier isn't just an amazing Bob Marley song, which I totally wish I had the budget to play for you. Marley and Noel Williams wrote the song Buffalo Soldier to highlight the irony of former slaves being used to take land from Native Americans for the use of mainly white settlers. If you get the chance, you should listen to it after this episode, knowing the history behind the song gives it a special depth that makes it feel like more than just a catchy hit from the 80s. It's unknown exactly how the term Buffalo Soldier came into being, some sources say the Native Americans fighting the cavalries and infantries gave the soldiers the moniker because their curly hair resembled that of a buffalo. 
Other sources say it was a term given them by the Comanche tribe on account of their toughness in battle. Other sources say the name came about because the soldiers had to use buffalo hides during the harsh winters to supplement the inadequate government uniforms and supplies given to them. Whatever the reason, the buffalo soldiers took the name and wore their sigil, a black buffalo, with pride. Over the years, more African-American units were incorporated into the armed forces. Between 370,000 and 400,000 African-American soldiers served during World War I, and around a million served in World War II. One of these soldiers was a young man from Cincinnati, Ohio, named John Robert Fox. He was born in 1915 and grew up in a segregated world. He attended Wilberforce University, the first college owned and operated by African Americans. He graduated with a degree in engineering and joined the U.S. Army Reserve, the ROTC, was commissioned into the Army in 1940, and gained the rank of first lieutenant. When the U.S. entered World War II in 1941, a global struggle that had started two years prior, Fox was called into action. He was a soldier in the segregated 366th Infantry Regiment in the 92nd Infantry Division. Most of America's black soldiers in World War II were assigned to non-combat units, mainly construction, maintenance, or supply units, and most black divisions would not see infantry combat. Although excluded from frontline combat, some of these soldiers, especially those serving in artillery batteries, did see combat, including the 320th Anti-Aircraft Barrage Balloon Battalion that saw action on D-Day, as well as many of the drivers of the famous Red Ball Express, a truck convoy system made up predominantly of black soldiers that kept Allied armies supplied in critical moments and often found themselves in dangerous situations. But during World War II, only one black division was trained for and allowed to see infantry combat, and that was the 92nd. The 92nd began combat training in 1942 and went into action on the front in Italy in the summer of 1944. The soldiers of the 92nd kept the buffalo as their symbol. The shoulder patch was circular, with a black buffalo supplanted onto an olive background. In this way, the 92nd continued the long tradition of the buffalo soldier fighting for the U.S. Army. When the 92nd arrived in Italy, the situation for the Allies was dire. No one had enough infantry troops, and pushing back the German line in Italy was extremely difficult. The Allies had managed to push the Germans about 500 miles up the peninsula, but instead of retreating from the country completely, the German army would retreat from one line of defense to another, forcing the Allies to continue pushing in a bloody fight that saw tens of thousands of deaths from 1943 to 1945. Fox and the 92nd played a big role in this fight. Fox served in the Field Artillery Battalion as a forward observer as the Buffalo Soldiers made their way from town to town throughout the Italian countryside. Forward observers would direct fire from the front lines, a dangerous but extremely important job. On Christmas Eve, 1944, the 29-year-old John Robert Fox and the rest of the Buffalo Soldiers entered the village of Soma Colonia, on the northernmost edge of the American line. Soma Colonia is a small hilltop village perched atop a high ridge overlooking the Sergio Valley. 
Today, it's almost a ghost town with very few residents, and the damage done from war can still be seen. When Fox arrived, the medieval walls built on old Roman fortifications wouldn't have provided much protection against the heavy German artillery booming out from the valley below. That Christmas night, when the soldiers of the 92nd were inside the town walls, German troops dressed as citizens infiltrated the town discreetly. It was a sort of Trojan horse move, but without the facade of a gift. By 4 a.m., an organized attack by uniformed German soldiers began. Instantly, the town was under heavy fire, and the fighting quickly became overwhelming and fierce. Some of the Germans were still in civilian clothes, which made it difficult for the Allied soldiers to engage with them in the house-to-house -house fighting that ensued, as it was hard to tell a civilian from a hostile soldier until they tried to kill you. The hand-to-hand -hand combat was intense, and the soldiers were joined by 25 Italian partisans eager to help. It became clear quickly that the Germans outnumbered the American soldiers and the Italian partisans. Two-thirds of those fighting had already been killed, and infantry forces had to withdraw from the town. But someone needed to stay behind and help direct offensive artillery fire. Lieutenant John Robert Fox, along with a handful of other forward observers, volunteered to be that someone. As the rest of the infantry began retreating to a safer position, Fox made his way to the second story of a crumbling tower to continue to direct fire. By 8 a.m., the Germans were everywhere in the streets and gaining ground. Fox continued to call in fire directed at the advancing Germans. They were making their way towards Fox en masse, and each time he called for a defensive strike, it was closer and closer to his own position. But Fox didn't retreat. He knew that if the Americans and the civilians were going to make it out of there, the German assault had to be stopped. But he was surrounded now, with the Germans advancing relentlessly. So he radioed in for one more round of artillery fire. One that would land down right on his own position. The soldier who received Fox's message thought he must have been mistaken. If the Americans fired on Fox's position, it would destroy the building Fox was in, along with everyone and everything in it. The soldier on the other end of the line told this to Fox, and told him that if they fired on the position he had just given them, he would be killed. Fox repeated his orders, once again directing the fire on his own position. The operator protested again, saying, Fox, that will be on you. When Fox was told that would bring 75 heavy caliber artillery guns directly on his position, he just said, quote, Fire it. There's more of them than there are of us. Give them hell. The receiving operator ordered the artillery fire, and hundreds of shells rained down on Fox. He died instantly. Fox's sacrifice was not in vain. The artillery strike forced the Germans to halt their advance. This gave the Americans time to regroup and launch a counterattack, which allowed them to reclaim the village of Somocolonia. Fox's body was found later, along with eight Italians who had also stayed behind. They were surrounded by the bodies of approximately 100 Nazi soldiers. 
Of the 70 U.S. soldiers and 25 Italian partisans who fought that day, only 18 made it out alive. If Fox hadn't sacrificed himself, the Germans would have taken the village and continued on, choking the important supply routes of the Allied forces. It was a truly heroic act, and half a century after Fox sacrificed his life, he was finally recognized for it. Until the late 90s, none of the one million black soldiers who fought in World War II had been recipients of the Medal of Honor. This is the highest and most prestigious honor a soldier can receive, and it's given to soldiers who have distinguished themselves by acts of valor in combat. According to the Department of Defense, in 1992, the Army contracted Shaw University to conduct a research study to examine whether there was any racial disparity in World War II Medal of Honor recipients. The report, entitled The Medal of Honor and African Americans in the United States Army During World War II, reported that black soldiers had not even been considered for the award. The report characterized the leadership of the 92nd, Fox's division, as having been racist. This would explain why a soldier who had volunteered to stay behind and sacrifice his own life was completely overlooked as a candidate for the award. The report recommended 10 specific Black World War II soldiers to be considered for the Medal of Honor. After the report, and under mounting pressure to examine the systemic racial bias in the military, seven of those soldiers were approved to receive the Medal of Honor. On January 13, 1997, 53 years after his death, Fox's widow, Arlene Fox, received the Medal of Honor on her husband's behalf from President Bill Clinton. You can watch the C-SPAN coverage of this ceremony online today. President Clinton tells Fox's story, as well as those of the other soldiers receiving the Medal of Honor that day, and you can watch as he awards the medals. I'll put a link to it in the show notes in case you want to watch that moment of history unfold. Fair warning, it's a tearjerker. You can see the pain and the pride in Arlene's face as she cries while receiving the medal for her husband she had lost so long ago. There have been 3,525 medals of honor awarded to 3,506 recipients. 89 of them have been black. Wanna guess how many of the recipients have been women? One. And her medal was rescinded two years before she died. Her name was Dr. Mary Walker, and she had been awarded the medal in 1865. She was a doctor and wanted to join the army as a surgeon, but was denied enrollment because she was a woman. She ended up volunteering for the Union Army during the American Civil War anyway, and was even appointed and paid as a War Department surgeon. She was also captured and held as a prisoner of war for four months. But because she had technically been a citizen and not an enrolled surgeon, not by her choice, remember, her medal was rescinded in 1917. But she didn't give it back. She continued to wear it until she died two years later. President Jimmy Carter restored her medal in 1977, thanks to great efforts made by her family. She remains the only woman to ever receive the award. People like Lieutenant Fox and Dr. Mary Walker are true forces of inspiration, and they are proof that human beings are capable of great things when faced with incalculably indomitable odds. John Fox lived and died in a segregated world. 
Walls built by racism and segregation surrounded him for his entire life. He saw years of war that showcased the worst side of humanity, but that didn't stop him from doing his duty. When he found himself in the midst of loud and bloody and violent and overwhelming odds, he made a choice to sacrifice himself for others. Despite the walls that had encased him his entire life, he chose courage. And as Maya Angelou once famously said, if one has courage, nothing can dim the light which shines from within. Hi, and welcome to Halfway to History. I'm Jonathan. And I'm Kylie. And this is a podcast where we talk about the upcoming week, but a long time ago. And sometimes not so long ago. So if you enjoy history and comedy, then do we have the show for you. We cover all sorts of topics from pop culture to ancient history with some fiction thrown in just for fun. Like episode 14, The Nefarious Nodule, where we play a choose-your-own-adventure game. Or episode 33, Water, Earth, Fire, Molasses, where I cover the Great Molasses Flood of 1919 in Boston. Or if you're into conspiracy theories, check out episode 11, Eldritch Witches, where I hunt down a teleporting ship. Or if you're feeling nostalgic, check out episode 15, You Meddling Nords, where I take a spin in the mystery machine with Scooby-Doo and the gang. Are you into science? Because I dive into the immortal genes of Henrietta Lacks in episode 18, Hella Big Dynamite. And for anyone who loves musicals as much as I, check out episode 22, Defying Ancestry, where I spend one short day talking about my favorite musical, Wicked. Halfway History is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or your favorite podcatcher. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Halfwit History, or visit our website at halfwit-history.com. And as always, I've been your Halfwit. And I'm your historian. And we hope you'll give us a listen. Bye! I hope you enjoyed hearing John Fox's story today. Join me again in two weeks' time for another inspiring episode in the Compassion series. In the meantime, if you want to get a hold of me, you can reach me at historycashpodcast at gmail.com. That's cash spelled C-A-C-H-E. I'm on Twitter and Instagram, too, if you want to find me there. Links can be found on my website at historycashpodcast.podbean.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can do that for as little as a dollar a month on Patreon at patreon.com slash historycashpodcast. Patrons get exclusive perks no one else does. Thank you for listening today and choosing this podcast out of the increasingly ridiculous number of podcasts out there. I genuinely appreciate you taking the time to listen. Join me again next time for another piece of history better than fiction. I've been your host, Kristen Robine Terpstra, and until we meet again, my dear wandering stars of podcast land, go make some history. Our history, though short, is wrought with events that transform our existence. 
Locked away and hidden within sacred vaults exists a treasure trove of events, inventions, and stoic occurrences hoping to shine once more. These gems have many facets. Some shine like beacons of hope and others are dim with warnings of future transgressions. Sometimes history is easily accessible and this is the history that we know by teachings. But what of the history that we were never taught? Sometimes we must act as thieves to steal the locked treasures of history and find out what secrets lie beneath. Join us as we pick the locks, open the hidden artifacts, and bring these treasures back from whence they came. Only on Ransack History, presented by Sounded Heart.